discuter de tout ça. I don't want to set the world on fire. We interrupt our program to bring you this important message. Good evening, good afternoon, or good morning, whenever it may be, wherever you may be, and however you may be hearing my voice. Whether it be via download through one of the many podcast platforms, or if you are listening to the premiere on the Alternate Current Radio's live stream, I appreciate you tuning in and joining me as we attempt to navigate the shark-infested waters of the agenda-centivized media and look past the propaganda. This is your daily dose of what's currently all the ruckus. What in God's name is going on in here? What was that ruckus? Uh, what ruckus? I was just in my office and I heard a ruckus. Could you describe the ruckus, sir? Watch your tongue, young man. Watch it. A study released this week reveals evangelical Christians attending secular colleges want more help in studying the Bible and then in applying the scripture to issues such as racial justice and climate change. As reported by the Washington Times, according to InterVarsity Christian Fellowship, one of the largest college campus ministries in the U.S., addressing racial justice and climate change rank as the most important social issues for their survey participants. The group has more than 1,100 chapters across the country, ranging from community colleges to Ivy League schools. Following a year of pandemic-related disruption, the students said isolation, lack of community, and or a lack of social interactions were cited as primary factors in a decline in students' mental health. The group said 47% of students reported that their mental and emotional health has been negatively affected as a result of the pandemic. Despite the emotional challenges the pandemic presented, an InterVarsity official said these students still view understanding the Bible as their chief concern. WashingtonTimes.com Well, I for one am certainly happy to hear that. Maybe if more people understood the Bible and took care of their mental health, we wouldn't have to hear stories like this one. As reported by Pathios's The Free Thinker, a Texas man has admitted to torching his family's home, killing his brother, 54, and injuring his 83-year-old mother because the family didn't lead biblical lives. Philip Mills, 40, was arrested after fleeing the scene and telling a police officer his house was on fire. During questioning with detectives, Mills admitted setting the family home on fire. He allegedly told detectives that he ignited a couch and was seeking to purge the home of quote-unquote biblical evil. An affidavit obtained by KTSM said, quote, once the sofa caught on fire, he walked outside the house and waited to see if his 
mother or brother would go outside, but they didn't. The defendant said that he waited outside the residence with large rocks in his hands in the event that his brother and mother had made it out of the burning residence. End quote. Mills later told police he was upset his mother and brother did not follow the Bible. Pathios.com. Now, I don't claim to be a biblical scholar by any stretch of the imagination. However, I do know enough to say quite confidently, i.e. 100% sure, that the Bible does not give any explicit nor implied instructions to set your house on fire with the intention of killing your mother and your brother, even if it's because they didn't quote-unquote follow the Bible. In fact, I'm pretty sure that somewhere in the Bible, it explicitly says, quote, thou shalt not kill, end quote. So exactly who's not following the Bible? But anyways, perhaps that's a topic for another day. Believe it or not, this is not a biblical discussion. It's a biblical-ish discussion. You're listening to Alternate Current Radio. I'm Adam Clark, and this is The Daily Ruckus. Howdy, folks. Here's a little bit of news that seems to have a biblical flavor to it. The Epoch Times reports, A 10-year-old Colorado child's death has been linked to the plague. And, officials said, Subsequent testing detected the presence of plague in insects in six counties in the state. In a recent statement, the Colorado Department of Public Health and Environment said that the child died in La Plata County, quote, from causes associated with plague, end quote. The Durango Herald reported the child, who died on July 5th, was a girl named Kinley Mitchell. She was a fourth grader who raised hogs in 4-H. Laboratory testing of samples of fleas later confirmed plague in the county, as well as five others. Plague is a disease that affects humans and other mammals, according to the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. Its typical cause is a bacterium, Yersinia pestis. Humans usually get the plague after getting bitten by a rodent flea carrying the plague bacterium, or by handling an animal that is infected with plague. Bubonic, septicemic, and pneumonic are the most common forms of plague. Symptoms include swollen lymph nodes, skin turning black, and rapidly developing pneumonia. Antibiotics are an effective treatment, but people who are not treated promptly face severe illness or death. Prevention methods include avoiding fleas, staying away from areas where wild rodents live, and not touching sick or dead animals. Few cases of plague appear in the United States. Only a single non-fatal one was recorded in 2019, though 16 were found in 2015, causing four deaths. That's down from dozens of cases in most years in the early 1900s and during the mid-1980s. The Epoch Times. You know, maybe it was just the way I was raised, attending the types of churches that I did as a child, and more so later on as a teenager, but every time I hear about things like the plague, my mind immediately goes to things like Revelation 6-8, quote, And I looked, and behold, a pale horse, and its rider's name was Death and Hades followed him, and they were given authority over a fourth of the earth, to kill with sword, and with famine, and with pestilence, and by wild beasts of the earth." Yep. 
call me an old-fashioned, Bible-believing conservative, but just like some sort of subconscious Rorschach test, that's where my brain goes every time I hear the word plague, right to the Bible. In fact, full confession, normally, if I were to take this whole coronavirus thing at face value, and I believed that this really was one of, if not the deadliest pandemics ever to face human history, I would probably include that along with a whole smattering of other news and events that have been happening in our world across the last couple years or so as signs of the times, i.e. an impending apocalypse, you know, the end of the world and all that. Luckily, I do not take the current pandemic that we are facing at face value, and I secretly and admittedly know more about the Bible than I let on, and therefore I am not worried that we are facing some sort of impending apocalyptical end of the world right around the corner. Definitely sometime, but not right now. And hey, speaking of the apocalypse, just in case you were ever curious exactly what it might sound like when someone who is not a Christian and doesn't believe in the Bible decides to preach all about the Bible and what it means to be a Christian for the sake of a vaguely intellectual-sounding opinion piece about politics. And folks, if you are a Christian and or a dyed-in-the-wool Republican, I apologize in advance. You will not like this story. And I'm not kidding. If you are ultra-sensitive about either of these topics, you have approximately three seconds to jump ship. Three, two, one. One, too late. Christopher Douglas, writing for Religion Dispatches, has this to say. In state legislatures across the country, Republicans are systematically making it more difficult to vote, premised on the big lie that voter fraud was behind President Joe Biden's election. The former president and much of his party refused to concede the 2020 election loss, with most congressional Republicans voting against ratification of the results, leading to the January 6th insurrection. The disagreement among Republicans seems not so much between Republicans who see Democratic victories as legitimate and those who do not, but as Adam Serwer argues, between Republicans who think violence might be necessary to hold power and those who prefer institutional malfiescence. These developments go well beyond Norm Ornstein and Thomas Mann's dark warning almost a decade ago that the Republican Party had become a quote, insurgent outlier, ideologically extreme, and dismissive of the legitimacy of its political opposition, end quote. Part of the reason for the increasing Republican extremism may lie in the biblical worldview of apocalypse that animates its conservative white Christian base. Apocalypse helps explain the radical political and epistemological crisis the U.S. is now facing. Apocalypse is the genre of two biblical books, the Hebrew Bible's Daniel, and of course, the Christian Bible's Revelation. Apocalypse sees the world in stark moral terms, where a hostile political state 
persecutes God's chosen people. Moreover, Apocalypse portrays those worldly governments as sponsored by God's cosmic enemies. In this battle of absolute good versus absolute evil, one's political opponents are the enemies of God, as was suggested by President Trump's evangelical advisor Paula White in 2019 when she strode the White House grounds praying against the quote-unquote demonic networks opposed to the president, and later tweeted against the quote-unquote demonic schemes and demonic stirrings and manipulations, to which she attributed his first impeachment. As a package of theological innovations, Apocalypse gave hope to the oppressed. Things were going terribly wrong, but soon God would intervene to destroy his cosmic enemies and remake the world. Apocalypse was a kind of theodicy, explaining why God allowed the suffering of his people. Besides an imminent overthrowing of an evil world, Apocalypse entailed the new idea of an afterlife of reward or punishment, which helped explain the fairness of Jews or Christians being martyred while their opponents prospered. Yet it should strike us as strange that a biblical genre aimed at giving hope to the powerless in dismal circumstances of oppression now animates the self-understanding of the most powerful single demographic in the country, conservative white evangelicals. After all, the historical circumstances of Daniel's 164 BC composition was Seleucid Emperor Antiochus IV's brutal persecution of Jews, executed for circumcising their sons, forced to eat pork, and victims of state terrorism as a military parade turned into a massacre of civilians in Jerusalem. Jews sought to understand how God could permit such evil. Daniel's answer, along with other non-biblical apocalyptic writings, was that God had powerful cosmic enemies supporting the worldly powers that persecuted the Judeans. The forms of persecution faced by Jesus' followers in Revelation is less clear clear, even if the anguish is as distinct. Both Daniel and Revelation symbolically portray Empire, Seleucid and Roman, as monstrous entities that had temporarily overthrown God's proper order. Jesus was an apocalyptic prophet, and such views were baked into early Christianity. Sometimes de-emphasized, Apocalypse was reinvigorated by Anglo-Irish preacher John Nelson Darby in the 19th century. He reinterpreted Apocalypse for modern times helping to formulate the premillennial dispensationalist theology that animates evangelical Christians today. Today's white evangelicals in the U.S., along with many conservative white Catholics and mainline Protestants, imagine themselves to be the persecuted faithful, victims of state oppression in the mold of biblical apocalypses. While this might seem ludicrous to outsiders, it aptly captures their sense of the disorder of the last half-century as they've been compelled to share cultural and political power with other groups. As it did centuries ago, Apocalypse channels the persecuted group's fear, focusing their resentment and properly directing their anger. Apocalypse's crucial component for U.S. politics today is this extreme moral dualism, not the imminent end times. Mostly opposed to desegregation and civil rights at the time, and with roots in pro-slavery 
slavery theology, conservative white Christians have since faced the first African-American president and then the first African and Asian-American woman vice president. They have seen the Supreme Court strip school-mandated Bible reading, prayer, and so-called quote-unquote creation science from public schools, even as evolution became standard fare. They have watched feminism challenge gender roles, and the Supreme Court legalize abortion and mixed-race marriage, and then same-sex marriage. They feared losing their children to a more pluralistic religious landscape, tolerant of decades of changes in sexuality, dress, drugs, music, and pornography. Decentered, they have lost real privileges and the ability to compel their fellow citizens' behavior. They've been forced to share power. Faced with larger demographic changes, they assert what Samuel Perry and Andrew Whitehead term a white, quote-unquote, Christian nationalism, aimed at restoring their privileges within a Christian nation. The biblical apocalypses of Daniel and Revelation emphasize endurance as God God's people, Jews or Christians, await his destruction of their enemies. But antiquities Jews and early Christians wrote other sacred books not in the Bible, and some of them suggest that the apocalyptic imagination can tip over from passive waiting to active, even violent, resistance. In the 2nd century BC, a Jewish apocalypse known as the quote-unquote animal apocalypse envisioned an allegory of sheep taking up a longsword, probably associated with the Maccabean revolt against Antiochus. The quote-unquote Book of Jubilees from the same century likewise imagined a role for the servants of God in a coming battle in which they quote, rise up and see great peace and drive out their adversaries, end quote. The quote-unquote war rule found among the Dead Sea Scrolls at Qumran, meanwhile, foresaw in the 2nd and 1st century BC a seven-phase battle between the quote-unquote sons of light and the quote-unquote sons of darkness, the army of Belial. It was to be a struggle in which the Judean elect fought alongside Michael's angelic forces, while Belial's forces of darkness seemed to include human armies from Israel's traditional kin enemies, Edom, Moab, and Ammon. Vanishingly few conservative white Christians today will be familiar with these non-biblical apocalypses, but we see in them Apocalypse's potential to tip from passive waiting into active resistance, and indeed evangelical fiction in the last 40 years or so has adapted the genre of apocalypse in precisely this direction of active resistance. In Christian author Frank Peretti's novel This Present Darkness, for instance, a quintessentially American town is beset by New Age spirituality, foreign religious influences, and a shadowy corporation seeking control over the town's institutions. Behind these dark forces are demons. While most people are unaware of the demonic sponsors, the town's evangelical Christians know, and they strengthen through prayer their angelic allies as they fight a supernatural, invisible battle. Secularists, college professors, feminists, and liberals are supported by demonic networks, and Christians combat them by praying in strategic places. 
as did Paula White in Trump's White House. The influential Left Behind series by Tim LaHaye and Jerry Jenkins, meanwhile, is a fictional retelling of the Book of Revelations apocalypse that has sold more than 80 million copies, mashing together Revelation with Daniel and various other biblical quote-unquote prophecies. It opens with a rapture of Bible-believing Christians, but its real story follows those left behind who piece together what's occurred, become born again, and form a plan to obstruct the Antichrist, the head of the United Nations, who plans to establish a one-world religion and one-world government. This includes assassinating the Antichrist, but also subterfuge and deception when opposing the Antichrist's unwitting human servants. In other words, evangelicals are still writing apocalypses. These influential novels embody the sense of a besieged faithful minority oppressed by a state power allied with or subservient to God's cosmic enemies, together with sermons, radio and television ministries, websites, Christian schooling and homeschooling, non-fiction books and magazines, the novels are part of an alternative information ecosystem that trains conservative white Christians in the apocalyptic sensibility conveyed by the Book of Ephesians, which gives Peretti's novel its title, that believers, quote, do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places, end quote. Ephesians chapter 6 verse 12. Juiced by their conservative propaganda apparatus, contemporary evangelical apocalypse channels fear of domination, anger at their opponents, and resentment about their unjust loss of power into a program for action. Like this present darkness's quote-unquote prayer warriors and left behind's quote-unquote tribulation force opposing the Antichrist's machinations. The Christian right's political apocalypse entails mobilization and engagement not passive waiting. Apocalypse trains its members in a structure of feeling, a proper rage at the oppression of one's group by illegitimate state actors and their demonic sponsors, the latter of which, in any case, are invisible and presupposed. Blurring the boundary between the cosmic and the mundane, Apocalypse teaches that one's political opponents aren't just fellow citizens with whom you have policy disagreements. So, speaking at the Faith and Freedom Conference in June, and quoting the same section of Ephesians, presidential hopeful Ron DeSantis silently equated quote-unquote the left and quote-unquote the devil as the enemy facing conservative white Christians, urging them to quote-unquote put on the full armor of God and to quote take a stand against the left's schemes. End quote. Evangelicals are the most likely group to believe that Christians are discriminated against, and this apocalyptic expectation of persecution at the hands of their enemies leads them to politically practice an inverted golden rule, do unto others as you expect they will do to you. This apocalyptic imagination animated the Christian right's involvement in the January 6th insurrection. While it's difficult to 
tell how widespread the desire for violent revanchist restoration will become. It's clear that the Christian right's apocalyptic imagination includes the delegitimation of democracy we're currently witnessing. Old democratic rules and civil norms break in apocalyptic political theology. When your political opponents are the enemies of God, you don't negotiate with them or seek bipartisan compromise. Fearful of demographic change, conservative white Christians seek to reclaim their centrality to American life and meaning in what Sarah Posner reports evangelical leader Robert Jeffries calling, quote, a war for the soul of our nation, a battle between good and evil. End quote. As Kristen Kobit Dumez recently wrote, evangelicals saw in Donald Trump a strong man in the model of John Wayne, not pious but willing to break rules fighting for the right side. Radically misappropriated, apocalypse shapes the Christian right's sense that it's engaged in an existential struggle with the powers of darkness. There are no higher values that bind them to their human opponents, only the exercise of power. Jesus may still be coming soon, as he says at the end of the first century book of Revelation, but in the meantime, conservative white Christians are seeking to retake the dominance they once had in a remade Christian nation. Religiondispatches.org Sorry folks, I warned you it was particularly nasty. But this is a perfect example of what happens when people just shoot off their mouths and act like they know what they're talking about. Clearly, neither the author of that piece, nor the quote-unquote Christians that he was referring to, if indeed these people truly exist and act the way as described, know anything about the Bible or what it means to be a Christian. I mean, if they had bothered to take the time and actually look inside the Bible, they might find evidence quite contrary to the idea that Christians are seeking to reclaim some sort of centrality to American life, and that they really care so much about politics, and consider their political opponents as enemies and not as fellow human beings, and all this crazy, divisive, angry, violent jazz that just doesn't jive with what I know about the Bible. And hey, don't take my word for it, let's take the good word for it. Let's take a peek at a small handful of verses from the Bible and see what it says. Ah, uh, here's one. Mark chapter 8 verse 36. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Hmm, here's another one. Romans chapter 12 verse 2. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Huh. And how about this? Psalm chapter 37, verse 7. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Do not fret when people succeed in their ways, when they carry out their wicked schemes. Huh. Here's another one. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14. Make every effort to live in peace with everyone and to be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. Interesting. How about another one? Ecclesiastes chapter 7 verse 10. Do not say, why were the old days better than these? For it is not wise to ask such questions. 
I think you get the idea, folks. I could go on and on and on, but I won't. Because even though whether or not you may personally be eager to witness the end of the world depends on your religious views and or your political party, I'm sure most of you by now are eager to witness the end of this episode. So we'll get there in just a second. And before I bid you all a fond adieu, I wish to express my personal opinion about Mr. Christopher Douglas, the author of that piece, which by the way was titled Apocalypse Now and Then, How a Biblical Genre Shapes American Politics. Well, what can I say? To be completely honest, the author and that piece and by piece, I mean piece of garbage, really, really reminded me of yet another verse from the Bible. Romans chapter 1, verse 22. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. For the ACR, I'm Adam Clark, and this has been The Daily Ruckus for Friday, July 30th, 2021. For more information, please visit alternatecurrentradio.com.